Good morning. We are the last uh, sermon in this sermon series entitled, Come to the Table. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles. We have been uh, discussing uh, the different elements to the table. Uh, Of course, we talked about the table itself and the importance of gathering around uh, the table. We talked about the chair and how everyone is invited uh, to join us at this table. We talked about the cup, the blood of Jesus. We talked about the bread, uh, the body of Jesus. And now we come to uh, my favorite part of the meal, the fork. The fork. Keep your fork. It's the best part of the meal. I had a friend uh, who uh, preached a whole sermon around the fork, the metaphor of the fork. He preached it this way. Many of us just celebrated Thanksgiving, right? You enjoyed uh, turkey, uh, mashed potatoes, stuffing, sweet potato casserole maybe. My favorite, mac and cheese. And everyone is, is busy, right? Cleaning up the table, picking up and grabbing plates, grabbing glasses, but they stop at the fork, right? You have to stop at the fork. My grandma used to say, no, keep your fork. But why, you ask? Because even though we enjoyed our favorite parts of the meal, the best is yet to come. My mother used to make the most delicious chocolate pies. This year I made a from scratch pumpkin pie, thanks to Anna McManus and her recipe. The fork represents what is to come. Let's look at what Paul has to say about what is to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, He said, for what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is done. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink. In remembrance of me. And then he said, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for the time that I get around this very special time around your table. I'm grateful that I get to join it with so many of my friends, so many of my brothers and sisters across this world who gather around to celebrate you. And I pray, Father, that as we study your word this morning, that you will guide and lead us. Let our hearts, our minds, our eyes be attuned to you and your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This verse 26 is what I really want to key in on. We took some time over the last two weeks to talk about the bread and to talk about the cup and, and to talk about what exactly it represents. The bread representing the body of Christ, the body that was broken. Uh, we talked about the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. But what does Paul mean when he says that we are to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes? I believe that Paul is speaking specifically to the Corinthian church here who needed to hear that they needed to change their attitude. Paul is expressing the importance is of what is proclaimed while we eat. What is proclaimed as we gather together and how that is related to Christ's return. And so follow along with me this morning as we discuss these proclamations and the age to come. First, we need to proclaim justice as we eat. And this, I believe, is at its most simplest layer. We commune together proclaiming the justice of God. We talked about it last week. Adam and Eve, they sinned. And through their sin, they ushered into a time of the knowledge of good and evil. And we chose evil over good, and that punishment is death. Jesus Christ takes the punishment of death upon himself in order that justice might be served. You know, the book of Revelation is all about this justice. The book of Revelation is all about the justice of it's a giant metaphor about the justice of God. God promises the early Christians who were watching their brothers and sisters being murdered that justice will prevail. Take for example Revelation chapter 16. John said that I heard an angel in charge of the waters say, "You are just." God in these judgments. O Holy One, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard an altar respond, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, true and just are your judgments. Revelation is all about the justice of God. And as we gather together, we are proclaiming the justice of God until he comes back. Now in the Corinthian church, there were severe injustices going on. There were severe injustices happening within that church. He tells the Corinthian church they cannot proclaim the justice of God and then turn around and treat their brothers and sisters poorly. He says, examine yourselves before you participate. If you're treating people poorly now and without justice now, 
you have no reason to keep this fork. Because this fork represents the justice that is to come, that God will be just in the age to come. And here these rich folks in the Corinthian church were eating and partaking, and they were not hungry. They were full, and they were satisfied. But the poor in that church remained hungry. And God says that they will be judged for that. In fact, Luke's gospel records Jesus' words about justice in this specific manner that relates directly to the Corinthian church. He says, woe to you who are well fed now, that's the Corinthian rich, for you will go hungry. Those are the words of Jesus. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. Paul is addressing the injustices that were happening now, saying you have no right to partake because of the justice that will come in the end. And that passage in Luke reminds me of, of really the second uh, concept that we're going to discuss today, the second proclamation, which is the proclamation of a role reversal. We have today, as we gather around the table, a proclamation of the justice of God, but also a beautiful role reversal. Woe to those who are hungry now, or woe to those who are well-fed now because you will be hungry. But he also says, blessed are those who poor because you will be fed. And this is a core teacher, uh, teaching of Jesus. Now Luke chapter 6, of course, is that role reversal sermon. The well-fed will be hungry. The hungry will be fed. Those who mourn will laugh. Those who laugh will mourn. Those who are rich will find themselves with nothing. And those who are poor will be rich. But Jesus also teaches that the first will be last, and the last will be first. Remember when James and John were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus spoke those words of reversal when he says, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. That's in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Whoever wants to be first must take the place and be the servant of everyone else. That's a role reversal. Accustomed to going home at noon in kindergarten, Ryan was getting his things ready to leave when he should have been heading to lunch for the rest of class. Linda asked him what he was doing. Ryan said, I'm going home. And Linda tried to explain that now that he's in first grade, he would have a longer school day. You'll have to go eat lunch now, she said. And then you can come back to the room and we're going to do some more work before you go home. And Ryan, he, he, he looked up at her in disbelief, hoping she was kidding. And he put his hands on his hips and he demanded, who on earth signed me up for this? There's an absolute role reversal when it comes to the church. 
And Jesus makes it incredibly clear that the first will be last. The, 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 the leader should be the servant. And we can't stand on our hips like this and say, who signed me up for this? Because that's what you signed up for. As we gather around this table, you signed up for humility. You signed up for a role reversal. And the Corinthian church really, really struggled with this concept. In the very next chapter, Paul has to explain to the Corinthians that there, are, there is not a hierarchy of gifts. That just because you have this gift doesn't mean that you're better than everyone else. And in this chapter, we're dealing with an income gap between the rich and the poor. And Paul is encouraging them, examine yourselves before you gather around the table. For those who are treating the poor terribly, he shares the greatest of role reversals. Christ, who chose to die. And his death gives new life regardless of your economic status. Treat the poor as if they were rich now. And you will experience the best that is to come. And so as we gather around the table this morning, we gather with hearts that are full of justice, that are full of humility. And this final concept, which I think is very important to the Corinthian church as well as us, is the concept of peace. We are to proclaim peace. I mean, we can see the injustices that were happening around the table. And we can see the pride that was gathering around the table. The James and Johns of the world who had gathered around this table. But how does death proclaim peace? Well, God's peace is more robust, it's more robust than the freedom of pain. I mean, examine John 14, 27 with me. As Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And listen to the more robust peace that he teaches. I do not give you peace as the world gives. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So what does peace mean? Well, to Jesus, peace does not mean the end of war. To Jesus, peace does not mean the end of suffering. The peace that Jesus offers is a peace that is between us and God and a peace between you and me. We discussed last week how the shedding of blood brings the forgiveness of sins and therefore that peace with God. As we approach the table, we have a peace with God because of the shedding of blood. But the shedding of blood also gives us a peace with one another. Remember, as Jesus died on the cross, we remember the words 
of those who witnessed a miraculous event that the veil was torn in two. And that veil represented not only the veil between us and God, but a veil that separated man from man. Look at it this way. In my opinion, it's essential for healthy marriage relationships to have conflict. Now, Jessica and I have conflict at times. We're different people and we have different opinions. I know it's hard to believe, guys, but there are sometimes that I do stupid things. Okay? I, I know. I know there's a lot of shock. <gasps> Jeremy makes mistakes, yes. And I do stupid things that hurt our relationship at times, and therefore conflict ensues. We enter into conflict with the desire for reconciliation. Why? Because it's God's peace that holds us together. It is the driving force, my friends, that keep us connected. Because at the end of the day, we are still one. We are still partners. We are still one flesh. Because neither she nor I am going anywhere. I've got a sixth child at home. And so I'm going to look at the camera and say, You can't get rid of me, Jessica. We're not going anywhere. And that same principle works in the church, folks. You and I have different opinions at times. Uh, sometimes I do stupid stuff and it causes conflict between us. Or maybe someone does something that's, that hurts your feelings. Because if it's not me that's doing something stupid, it's going to be someone in the church. And therefore, conflict ensues. And we enter that conflict with a desire for reconciliation because God is peace. And that peace is what holds us together. At the end of the day, the same peace that brings reconciliation with God holds us together as well. Have you ever eaten at a restaurant where the food was just terrible. Anybody? Anybody ever eaten at a restaurant where the service was bad? The waitress or waiter, they neglected to serve you. Your food took forever to come out. It was cold. The meat was undercooked. The vegetables were stale. And then the waiter has the audacity to look at you and say, Would you like dessert? Would I like dessert? No, thank you. The food was cold. The vegetables were stale. It's good about this experience. And you want me to keep my fork? No, thank you. I'll pass. The Corinthian church was gathering together and there was nothing that went well. The poor were hungry. 
The rich were eating it up. Those who had specific spiritual gifts were treating you like you were worthless in the church. There were factions in the church too. There were those who said, I follow Paul, and those who said, I, I follow Apollos. And so there were all these little cliques in the church as well. And then they all gathered together and had themselves a nice meal. And you want to look at the world and say, hey, you want dessert? Heaven's going to be great. Not thanks. I'll pass. Folks, don't miss it. Because the peace that brings us peace with God and the peace that brings us peace with man that holds us together speaks volumes to this world. And when we proclaim justice, when we proclaim humility, and when we proclaim peace, the world says, can I keep my fork? Because, yeah, I want, I want that in the age to come. I want justice in the age to come. I want to know that though I did not, was looked down upon in this, in this world, that God will lift me up in the end. I want to know that the peace that held these people together will be the same peace that holds me together with Christ. That's worth keeping your fork. Our song this morning, which would be a song of invitation as well as a song that prepares our hearts for our time together, is the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it's an appropriate song. It really is. Because if you think about the faithfulness of God, it speaks volumes to everything we're talking about this morning. It speaks volumes to that bread and that cup. And it speaks volumes to the death that he was faithful to his word. He was faithful to his promise. And he will be faithful in the end. I'll be praying to prepare us we'll be singing and as we sing will you go to the corners and grab a cup that has juice and bread in it and meditate on these ideas as we prepare for communion together father you are faithful we see it throughout history and your word you were faithful to your your, your prophets, you were faithful to Israel. You were faithful to your people by sending your son, Jesus Christ. You were faithful and defeated death. You were faithful and have rose and throned above. Therefore, we can place our faith in you today. Help us to be faithful to one another and faithful to you so we can therefore proclaim your death until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.